0: Pray there to yourself silently. Spend some time with the Lord. So let's pray together and then I'll close this in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning, thankful for your sacrifice. We bow as those who would truly stand in wonder of your amazing love. Stand in wonder that He who is the Alpha and the Omega. The everlasting God, whose strength will not and cannot fail, became a man of sorrows for us. And Lord Jesus, it is by your stripes that we are healed. And so we rejoice today in the truth that our debt is paid in full. We rejoice in your steadfast, amazing love. We commit this time to you, oh God. and pray that, God, you would teach us to love with a genuine love that reflects who you are. May we show that love to one another. It's in Christ's name, we pray, Amen. Well, last week we started in Romans 12, verses nine through thirteen, and we made it through nine and ten. The first two points we talked about love being genuine, a, a love that we are called to love, that hates what is evil, that holds fast to what is good. We moved into verse ten, and as we went through ten and into on into getting through verse thirteen, I share with you that there or five aspects of genuine brotherly love that Paul gives us in Romans 12, 9 through 13. And so last week we covered the first two. First we said in the second part of verse 9 that genuine love hates what is evil and loves what is good. The second thing we said is that in verse 10 we see that genuine brotherly love honor shows honor and brotherly affection to one another. And we ended our time by talking about the importance of coming alongside one another in brotherly affection and showing one another that we have a concern for one another in their, in their walk with the Lord and their holiness, their striving to live for God. And I, I ended with, with appealing to you and saying that we need one another to come alongside and to, say, and to call evil for what it is in our lives. When we have sin in our lives, call it to our attention because we affectionately care and love one another enough to see one another and long for one another, to live for the glory of God, to live a life that is holy. So today we pick up on the third aspect of genuine brotherly love. It's found in verse 11, but I want to read, before we start that, I want to read this passage again, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, Let love be genuine, abhor, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we pick up on this third aspect. And the third aspect in verse 11 is that it serves the Lord, genuine brotherly love, seeks to serve the Lord. Now, Paul says some important things about what it looks like to serve the Lord. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I, many of you know, and I've shared this up with you several times in different examples and illustrations, but you know that that I enjoy running. That's an important part of my life. And I started running. I haven't historically been a runner. I started running in 2014. And the very first race I ever ran was the it's called the Jingle Bell Jog in Stanford, Kentucky. It's the beginning of December. It's always kinda just a, a big race, a fun race and, and people get all excited about it. It's at Christmas time. And so I went out and it was the first time I've ever been in a race. And so I went and when the gun went off, I was excited. I had tons of energy. There was spring in my step. I was smiling, laughing. I don't remember who all was around me, but we were talking and took off and It was all great, right? First mile, second mile, not so great. Third mile, I was hating life. I was miserable. I was dragging my way along the road. And to tell you how much I was dragging my way along the road, a gentleman dressed in a Santa Claus um, spandex-like suit with white hair came kind of lumbering by me, not just flying, but he was just having fun laughing and says, Merry Christmas, you know. And goes by me, and I looked over at him and was like, I don't care if I die between here and the finish line. He is not going to beat me. (laughs) And with all I had, I'm competitive, all right? I'm sorry. I'm competitive. And um, with all I had, I stayed with him and finally passed him right before the finish line. And my whole goal in life was to beat Santa Claus to the finish line, and I did it. This guy is at every race now and comes dressed up. Some of you know who he is. Uh, I saw him at a race a, a while back and told him that story, and he laughed and said, well, I'm glad I could do something for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Here's the moral of the story, is that my eagerness to run had quickly vanished. The desire and the excitement that I had, the zeal, the, the, just the, the anticipation wore off really quick. I, it, I took off fast, and it wasn't long before I was miserable and I was ready to quit. And what Paul calls us to here when he talks about serving the Lord is he calls us not to do that. He says first, he says, do not be slothful in zeal there in the first part of verse 11. He, said, he begins with this negative and follows with two positives. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. When he, when he says, do not be slothful in zeal, he's, he, he's talking about this eagerness. Zeal is this eagerness, this diligence, this earnestness, this willingness to serve. And when he says slothful, we understand slothful, we understand that simply means lazy or idle. The, the Jewish historian Josephus used that word to describe a military attack that slowed down and kind of waned because those fighting became soft and tired and disillusioned. They lost heart. And so Paul says, don't become slothful. The same word is used in Proverbs 6.6 6 in verse 9 to describe the lazy person. We're described not to be like the lazy person, but we should learn from the ant and be a hard worker. And Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal. Essentially, he's just simply saying, regarding what you ought to be doing, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy about it, but press on. Be, be zealous, be willing, be diligent, be earnest, be eager to serve the Lord. And that's what he's calling us to, is, is to serve the Lord. In verse 11, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that God is our master. It means that, that we truly submit to him as our Lord. It means that the calling of Christ on our lives takes the place of primary importance. Now, I, I would ask you this morning, is the lordship of Christ the way you approach your walk with Christ? Is, is this something you genuinely understand that I am a follower of Christ, I Am submitting to Christ as Lord. Do we truly approach it that way? Or is it just this religion? Is it just this thing we do? Or are we actively, daily, weekly seeking to figure out how do I submit to Christ, my Lord, my Master, in this area? What does it look like for me to serve the Lord? What does that mean for you to serve the Lord? What does it mean for you to, to have that, that mindset, your identity, right? We're in this identity study. What does it ha- mean to have that mindset where before I am anything else, I am a Christian who serves Jesus Christ as my Lord? So before I say I'm a businessman, before I say I'm a teacher, before I say I'm a father or I'm a mother, before I say I'm an athlete, before I say I'm a student, I say I am a Christian, because my primary identity is in the fact that I am a Christian, I am a follower of Christ, and he is my Lord, and I serve him. So what does that look like? What does it mean? It, it makes us ask questions like these. Does, does my life has a, have a gospel goal to it? Does your life have a gospel goal to it? Do you have a goal of, of telling people the good news of Jesus Christ? Is it something that frames the way you live? Does it frame the things you do? Does it frame the conversations you have? Does your life have a gospel goal to it? Here, here's another question. Am I thinking of how I can serve Jesus, my Lord? Am I, am I considering how can I serve him? What can I do to honor him? What can I do to show my obedience to him and my love for him in this situation? Am I considering how I use my gifts in, or and my spheres of influence for the cause of Christ? Is it something where I go, okay, I'm submitting every part of me to the Lordship of Christ. I'm submitting every aspect of my life to him because he's my master and I am serving him. So if that's the case, how am I using my gifts for him? How am I using the spheres of life, the spheres of influence that I have for his glory? My, my workplace, my team, my friends, my neighborhood. How am I using those spheres of influence for the glory of Of God, the cause of Christ, my Lord? Or am I seeking to serve the Lord more than I'm seeking to serve myself? Or am I seeking to serve myself more than I'm seeking to serve the Lord? Which one are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? Are you living serving Him or hoping that more people will serve you? Paul says to serve the Lord and to do so. With zeal, do not become slothful in zeal. And then he says to be fervent in the spirit. How should we be serving? Not being slothful in zeal, but being fervent in spirit. Listen, serving can become tedious, can't it? Serving can become wearing, can't it? But we have to hear the words of Paul here. He says, do not become slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. We hear the same thing in Galatians 6, 9, where he says, let us not grow weary, in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul understands, he knows that it is easy to grow weary in doing good. It is easy to grow tired, it is easy to become slothful and zeal. We read this passage in Hebrews 6:10 through twelve last week, and I, I highlighted the first part. I wanted you to hear the second part tonight or today, where the word of the Lord says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. So last week we talked about the importance of, of serving the saints. Now listen to what he says. He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he's calling us not to be sluggish, not to be slothful in zeal, but to be fervent in spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, you, you may remember 1 Corinthians 15. It is this beautiful chapter of Scripture that talks about the resurrection, the impact of the resurrection. Where it's the passage where, where Paul explains that if Christ has not risen, that everything we're doing is vain. That you sitting here in this moment, if Christ has not risen from the grave, you sitting here, in this moment, me standing here and teaching and preaching, all of it is worthless. It's a waste of time, and we all need to go home. But in fact, Christ has risen from the dead, he says. In the end of that chapter, listen to what he says. To sum it all up, after he said everything about Christ's victory over death, he says in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Therefore, in light of all that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't run fast and be zealous at the beginning and then become sluggish. Don't become slothful and zeal, but maintain that fervent spirit, because you know that your labor is not in vain you know that we are to be abounding in the work of the Lord, abounding in service to the Lord. Listen, serving the Lord is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not something where we go, we just want to start well, and we're not worried about how we finish. No, we want to continue well. We want to maintain our zeal. We want to continue and maintain that longing to serve. We want to continue to be fervent in spirit. Now, what does fervent in spirit mean? What does that look like? I, I don't typically walk around and say, you know, that guy is fervent in spirit. What does he mean? Fervent in spirit can also mean aglow with the spirit, capital S. It could mean bubbling over in spirit. Okay? It's, it's kind of uncertain. It's used in, a, in Acts 18.25 to describe the ministry of Apollos. Remember Apollos, Paul refers to him in First Corinthians. It, it, it describes the ministry of Apollos. In both places, in, in 1825 and in our text today, it's uncertain as to whether the Spirit is referring to capital S, Holy Spirit, or just our Spirit within. It, we, we don't know. And, and you can go and you can study books and books, and scholars fall both ways, very respected scholars on both sides say, No, I think it's this, I think it's this. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with, I I would say it's best to understand it as referring to the zealous spirit, of the one who serves the Lord in the power and the presence of the spirit. I, I like this. I want to share this with you. A commentator named Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote this to describe it. I think it gives us a good understanding of what it means to be fervent in spirit. He said, The glow of the spirit is the warmth of the soul touched by the love of Christ. It cannot exist apart from the knowledge that we have been loved, that Christ gave himself for our sins, and that we have been redeemed, and that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in our hearts. Such knowledge causes us to yield in full surrender to him as Lord of all. The Holy Spirit, who dwells in all believers, will glow through those who allow him to fill and direct their lives. So in essence, what Barnhouse is saying is that to be fervent in the Spirit simply means that we are bubbling over in Spirit with the Holy Spirit, that people, when they see our lives, they know and they understand, man, this guy has been around the Lord. He loves the Lord. He is a servant of the Lord. The Spirit dwells within him. So if you're growing weary, if if you sit here and go, I'm just kind of tired, I'm worn out, don't grow weary in doing good. Press on in serving the Lord. Whatever your service of the Lord is, whether it's running the computer, the sound, whether it's greeting, whether it's teaching, whether it's doing showers, whether it's helping with the children, the youth, adults, volunteering in the office, counting, serving at God's food pantry, somewhere else in the community. Do not grow weary in doing good. But do what the psalmist says in Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Do not grow weary. Press on because God works and God uses you in ways that you may not understand until years and years later. You never know when you may get a text message or an email from someone and hey, I appreciate what you did years ago. I appreciate your consistency in serving because it made an impact on my life to be able to come to church and every morning know that you would stand there and you would open the door and greet me with a hug. It it impacted my life to know how you prayed for me daily as my prayer mentor. It changed my life, your faithfulness to teach, even when there was only one person in there. And you sat there and you teach and you open up God's Word and you share with me the truth of Scripture and the commitment that you have to the Lord and you encourage me in my own. And I want you to know that that made an impact in my life. You don't know the impact that you're having in people's lives. Continue to serve the Lord. Do not grow softful and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. The fourth aspect that we see here, the fourth aspect of what it means to genuinely love one another is that genuine brotherly love lives life together. Verse 12, it lives life together. There's three things that Paul says says here. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. All of these come together and they all occur as we simply live life together as the body of Christ. So I want us to look at these three things. The first thing is that, that we are those who live life together rejoicing in our shared hope. We are those that rejoice in our shared hope. Titus 2.13 says that we are those who are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, we gather today, we live life together as those who have hope. The world is lacking in hope. We gather in hope. We gather because of hope. We do not lack hope. We have hope. And we know what hope is. We've been saved to the living hope. The world only knows a hope that is uncertain and wishful. But we know a hope that is certain because it is anchored in the work of Christ on the cross. And so we gather in that hope. We lift high the name of Christ because of that hope. The world is constantly shifting what it places its hope in. I I place my hope in this. I place my hope in that. And it's constantly shifting. You should hope in this. You should hope in him. You should hope in her. You should hope in these people. It changes constantly. But our hope is fixed because it's found in Christ, our steadfast, loving God, our faithful God, who will not remove his steadfast love from us. And we rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. We come together and we praise him for the great hope he has given us. So we are those who live life together, rejoicing in the hope that we have in Christ, encouraging one another in that. And when life is wearisome, when life is difficult, we point one another to hope in Christ. Look to Christ. Don't look at your situation. Look to Christ. We rejoice in the hope that we have, which leads into that second statement. He says that we are also those who are patient in tribulation, as we live life together, we have to be patient in tribulation. Living life for Christ is not easy. It is not without trials. It is not without opposition. However, the hope that we have is that that trial, that tribulation is not in vain. We cling to the same hope that we are given as we patiently endure the difficulties of life. We have these great promises of Scripture, like Romans 5, 3-5, to that says, We rejoice in our suffering knowing That suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Do you remember? Hope. It produces hope. So we are patient in tribulation. Why? Because we rejoice in hope. And that tribulation produces hope. James 1.3. For you know that this testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know what these texts simply say is that God has promised, God has assured us that trials and tribulations in this life are not wasted. They're not wasted. We need to know that. I need to know that. I need to know that the difficulties of life that I've gone through, they are not wasted. They are not in vain. But God uses those in my life. God uses those to shape me into who he has called me to be. And so I walk through those things. I am patient in tribulation, knowing that God is going to use that tribulation. Friend, your grief is not in vain. It's not in vain. Your depression is not in vain. The persecution that you experience, the decisions where someone passes over you for this coworker over here because of your integrity and you won't do an, an unethical business dealing to prosper the company. And so because of your standing for Christ, because of your commitment to truth, because of your commitment to Jesus as Lord over your boss, you get passed up. Or perhaps you get mocked It is not in vain. The sickness, the chronic pain that you endure will not be in vain. It will not always continue. There will be a day where God relieves that from you. There will be a day where God heals you, where God brings you into his presence. That may be here. It may be in glory. But it will not endure and it will not be in vain. He will use that to produce character and to produce hope he will use that to produce steadfastness your joblessness is not in vain your battle with sin that goes on and on and on and on and on is not in vain God will use all of this God will redeem all of this to help you and to grow you in hope and steadfastness and character into the image of Christ his son but We need each other as we walk through this, don't we? We need each other to care for one another. We need each other to minister to one another. We need each other to show love to one another. We need each other to keep directing our gaze to Christ. We need each other. We live life together as we are patient in tribulation. And third thing he says is to be constant in prayer. We are those who live life together constant in prayer for one another. Prayer should be a hallmark of who we are. The NIV translates this as faithful in prayer. The New American Standard translates it as devoted to prayer. So devoted to prayer, constant in prayer, faithful in prayer. It simply means that we are to busy ourselves or to be busily busily engaged in prayer. That's what the church is about. We should be a praying people. In Acts 1.14, the early church says all the disciples with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Acts 6.4, we see the first picture of deacons. And the reason that the apostles brought together people to serve, men to serve, is it says that we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Being devoted to prayer was critical to the early church. It's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to keep that end alert, or to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are to be a praying people. We are to be a people who draw near to the Lord. It should be an essential part of our church, of us being the church, that we pray together. We pray together because we speak to God together. We pray together because we depend on God. You don't depend on me. You don't depend on any bank account. You don't depend on this building. No, we depend on God. I can't give you air to breathe. I can't sustain your life. I sure don't know what's happening tomorrow in your life. And I can't protect you from anything. But God can. And God does. And so we depend on God. And we come together and we pray because we depend on God. We understand that when we come before his throne and we make an appeal for someone on the other side of the globe, that God is the God who is able and who is working and he works in that person's life. He's the God who hears our prayers. He's the God who is living and active because he is the risen Lord. He's the God we serve. He's the God we pray to. He's the God we listen to. We come together and we pray and we make our appeals to God, but we come together and we pray and we listen to God. We listen for the Holy Spirit to lead us by His Word, to speak His truth into our lives. We are devoted to prayer. We are a people of prayer. Prayer is not just bookends to a meeting. When we sit down and we go, well, we need to pray to start and we need to pray to end, that's all we do, and we really just do it just to do it because we need to and we always have. If our prayer is nothing more than that, then we're missing it. Prayer is not just prayer. What are we having tonight? Oh, it's just prayer meeting. What are we doing? Are we not having worship or grace equipping Sunday night? No, it's just prayer gathering. What are y'all doing in your home when you're gathering in your homes? Is there, is there a Bible study or eating? No, it's just prayer. God, have mercy on us. If that's our attitude, that it is just prayer, that I'm just coming before the throne of God Almighty, that I'm just able to pray to the sovereign God of all creation because I've been clothed by the righteousness of Christ, the one who died on the cross for my sins, but not any reason of himself, have mercy. It is not just prayer. It is a moment that we have the privilege to come before the great, almighty, holy, righteous, loving, merciful, just, eternal, sovereign, ruling, reigning God of all creation. We have the privilege to come before Him in prayer. We have the privilege to praise Him, to worship Him. We have the privilege to hear from Him. We have the privilege to present our request to Him. I have the privilege to, to come before the God of all creation and ask him to work in the lives of my children. <laughs> I mean, what greater privilege is there? Would I give more credence, more value with being able to go and, and talk to one of you and say, Hey, would you help Sidney out as I would to say, God Almighty, would you work in her life? God have mercy on us if we... Value coming and speaking to someone else more than we speak to God. We we are to be devoted to prayer. Prayer is the privilege, the blessing afforded to the people of God who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and clothed with the righteousness of Christ that we might stand before Him and present requests to Him. I long to see that day where we esteem prayer so much that we have to have a hard time, we, or we have a hard time finding seats when we have a prayer gathering. That people are gathered and it's overflowing in the foyer because we're coming to pray. God, make us a praying people. That doesn't happen by teaching about prayer. It doesn't happen by guilting you. It happens when you value coming before God Almighty and seeking His face and being before Him in prayer. It happens when you love Him more than anything else. It happens when you have a genuine love for the body and understand that the one who can really help and build the body is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And I have the privilege to come before Him in prayer a genuine love within the body is manifested in prayer for the body may we be a praying church a church devoted to prayer to show genuine love for one another the fifth thing that paul says here the fifth aspect of genuine brotherly love is in verse 13 genuine brotherly love helps those in need it helps those in need paul gives Two instructions here in verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Two two admonitions from the apostle. We see the same exact thing in Acts 2, 42 to 47, a pretty common passage that many of you are probably familiar with. I'm going to read it to you and listen to how we hear contributing to the needs of the saints and showing hospitality to one another. This is a scene from the early church. It says, and they devoted themselves. We already have read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done among the the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see both of these things happening. We see them in verse 45, that they are meeting needs. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Selfishness simply should not be a part of the family of God. We should be those who seek to meet the needs of one another. And we have to be careful here. You know this as well as I do. We have to be careful because we live in such a self-centered, materialistic time. I have to check myself. I have to ask myself, do I love people more or stuff more? Is there something that I have at 345 Planners Way that I would say, I don't want to get rid of that. Because I so appreciate that and love that. So I don't know if I would be willing to lose that if Mike was in trouble or is there something where if Mike was in a difficult situation I would say you know what he's my brother in Christ and I love him so much there is nothing that I wouldn't do there's nothing I wouldn't move there's nothing I wouldn't get rid of if it meant helping him in some way that's what the apostles were doing that's what it, was. it wasn't the apostles even. It was just the church the early believers were saying whatever I have I, I don't cling to it like this but the things I have I hold like this and if at any point I need to give them over for the benefit of a brother in Christ, I give it over for my brother. It's what we read John writing in 1 John 3, 16 and 18. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. Is my stuff too important to me to help a brother or sister in difficult times? Listen, I don't know what the next year holds. I surely didn't expect 2020 to look like this. And I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. I know that there's a serious potential for more economic difficulty. And I know that that economic difficulty may come upon people that you would never think it would. And I know that in those times, if it comes, that it is this body right here that we're called to take care of. And it's this body that we have to come together and we have to join together and support and help in their time of need. And I think that as a body, we need to be praying, God, give us a humble heart. Give us a heart that loves one another so genuinely, that loves you so genuinely, that we're willing to give away whatever we need to give away in order to help a brother or sister in need. We need to have that willingness. This is not socialism. So if you're sitting back going, wow, he's making some political appeal, it is not. No, this is a picture of God's people loving one another in such a way that they're willing to do whatever it takes to help one another. And if that is problematic to anyone in this room, your problem is not with some kind of political party or ideology. Your, party is with the, or your problem is with God and the Word of God that you're clinging to the idols of the heart and stuff more than you are to a willingness to love and to care for one another. This is not something where the church says you have to do this, you have to get rid of that and give it to that, you have to share this with everyone. That's not what this is. It's simply the church saying that if I see a brother in need, I'm going to do whatever I can to help that brother in need. It's the church being the church. The second thing we see there is in verse 46 and 47, we see them showing genuine hospitality. Hospitality. He says in Romans to, to be hospitable to show hospitality and we see that in verse 46 and 47 where it says day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in the temple when they said hey here's an opportunity for fellowship that's not what it says what are they doing they're in the temple they're gathering in the temple but that's not the only place they gather that's not the only time they see each other no they attend the temple together and they break bread in their homes they receive their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people their life together was in the temple and in homes. They gathered at church and in the community. It wasn't that they only gathered as the church in, the, in the, uh, the, the building of the church. They gathered in their homes. Their faith was not just a social gathering. It was something they lived out that came out in the way they lived as they invited people into their homes. The body of Christ is the family of God who values community. That's the body of Christ. We value one another. We love one another. We care for one another. We open our homes. We welcome others in. And as we do, we have favor with all the people. In in the 20 years I've lived here, we've had a lot of cars on our street. A lot of people come to our home. And you know, I've never had any of my neighbors complain Except for the one time the teenagers parked on both sides of the street. No one could get through. And one neighbor drove his four-wheel drive in the yard of the other neighbor. That wasn't a good night. But other than that, you know, I've never had my neighbors go, why do you have people in? No, you know what they say? Neighbors, believers, unbelievers. I think that's great. That's so neat. They value that. They see it. We have favor with those around us. Why? Because they see the body being the body. They see hospitality. We're to help those in need. We're to be hospitable, welcome people in. It's where we started our time together. In 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, do you remember the verse we meditated on? You thought upon it, Mold it over in your head. Hear it again. Above all, keep loving one another Earnestly, a genuine brotherly love. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're called to serve the Lord that works its way out, in serving one another and showing genuine love towards one another that is earnest. We're called to show hospitality to one another. May we be a people who genuinely loves one another. Who are devoted to prayer. Living life together. Showing hospitality. Showing genuine brotherly love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church body. God, I I confess that, God, there are times where my heart wanders. And, God, I I value stuff more than I should. God, there are times where I get busy. And I allow busyness and just the strain of life to draw me away from prayer. God, there's times where I just simply have... An attitude that is ungodly. That is nothing like what you've called me to. Yeah, there are times where I grow weary. Lose my zeal. My spirit's not bubbling over. And God, I I really sense that my brothers and sisters here today would say many of the same things. And so, God, we come before you and we ask, God, that you would help us to maintain our zeal for you. God, let us be fervent in spirit as we serve you. God, help us to be patient in tribulation. God, help us to be constant in prayer. God, help us to be hospitable. God, help us to care for the needs of one another. Help us, God, to be earnest in love as a church body for your glory and for the good of this body. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.